Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. We're here every week uh, helping public, private, and nonprofit organizations uh, in their efforts to get broadband everywhere it needs to be. Today, I'm very happy to have a couple of the key uh, movers behind the U.S. Ignite uh, project. And in case anyone hasn't uh, been fully aware, it's a it's a project that's been launched by uh, the White House in conjunction with a, a slew of private sector, nonprofit, uh, government uh, partners, and um, the intent is to drive broadband adoption and acceptance by uh, increasing the number of applications and services and so forth that are out there. And so today I am very pleased to have um, two guests. There, uh, One is uh, Sue Spradley, who is the executive director of um, U.S. Ignite, and uh, Sue has a, a pretty heavy background in the uh, wireless telecom industry, and and knows awful lot about the um, you know the broadband arena. Our other guest is Joe um, Cochin, who uh, has worked uh, with the Department of Commerce's BTOP program, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. And uh, but he also has um, a fair amount of industry experience, including a time spent with um, Digital Bridge. So both of you, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're glad to be here. It's an exciting time for Thanks, us tonight. Right. Indeed, indeed. So there has been uh, a ton of articles. There's been meetings. There's been presentations. And so today, really, a lot of what I'd like to do is to help people sort out and get to the heart of, you know, the the the, the program, the initiative, what's what's to be um accomplished, but mainly how can people participate and how can they they benefit from that. So I will start with, you know, can you give us a general outline uh recap of what the 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 plan is? What's your plan of attack here? Don't be shy, either one of you can jump in. <laughs> Yeah, that's okay. Why don't, why don't I start, and Joe, you can kind of jump in, if that's okay. Um, that so, great. you know, initially, of course, our, our focus has been on um, getting U.S. Ignite launched, which, as you noted, is a private-public partnership aimed at bringing next-generation applications into the broadband environment, focused primarily on six uh, social benefit sectors, transportation, health, energy, advanced manufacturing, education, and I always forget the last one, Joe. Um, sorry. Energy. I think maybe transportation, too. No, I think I got it. Um, job cre- job um, development, workforce development, the last one. Um, but to your specific question, so uh, where we're focused now, when we launched, we have uh, roughly – 12 private partners who do the funding for U.S. Ignite. Think of partners like uh, Juniper, uh, Cisco, Verizon, Comcast, etc. And then we also have uh, today about 25 different communities who have joined in as part of the effort who have existing broadband networks or are in the process of completing their broadband build-out. So our goal as a team is over the next three to five years to try to get the number of communities up, correct, about the 200 level, and the number of applications around 60. 
And so our near-term focus, of course, is focusing on those initial communities we have, working with our private partners. Uh, for example, Verizon announced that they would be doing a test uh, market in Philadelphia. So we'll be uh, using their, their higher-speed 300 megabit uh, BIOS capability. So we'll be working with them on applications and capability, for example, maybe around healthcare that they can roll out to those users in that environment. So we're really focused on getting our first cities up and running uh, and involved in working together on some uh, next generation applications in those six sectors and then we'll move on from there. So communities or companies interested, if they go to our website, um, a nice guy named Joe will uh, <laughs> respond and make sure that we're following up and getting them engaged as, as they like. Mm -hmm. So, so having a city up and running, what exactly does that look like? I guess I'm asking, what, you know, what's the what's the what would be the end goal of what people should expect as a result of this uh, relationship? Sure, Joe, you want to take that one, so we're not. Sure, sure. I I guess Craig, I would I, I tend to put our goals uh, into three basic steps. Step one is that we are looking to work with innovators, entrepreneurs, researchers, uh, academics, and others to create next-generation applications for some of these advanced networks. And that really means create applications that use very high bandwidth, that use software-defined networking, that run on open flow, that, that that start to incorporate some of the technology behind network virtualization. Try to use some of these advanced technologies to create applications that are purpose-built for gigabit networks. That's step one. And you saw at the beginning of that with the announcement that was made in our launch of the Mozilla Ignite competition that NSF is funding. And that's one of what we hope will be many, many steps to encourage developers to think about these applications. The second step is to find a place to test those applications with real customers and users and communities. And that's where some of the folks who have already built gigabit broadband networks come in. We have a number of partners who have already signed up to provide next generation test beds that will be enabled with some of those technologies we just discussed, SDN and uh, OpenFlow. And those test beds will be made available for some of these new applications to give them a place to run, to test them out, to help further their development. So step one is create the application. Step two is find a willing community network partner. And some of those partners include, as you mentioned, Verizon and Comcast. Those partners also include um, research and education networks like Merit or Florida Lambda Rail. Those partners also include BTOP winners like UC2B and Urbana-Champaign and Utopia in Utah. Uh, and they also include municipal networks like the one in San Francisco as well as DCNet. So it's a wide range of networks. Step three then is to further socialize and commercialize those applications. In other words, get the applications created. Step two, test them with real live customers, step three, figure out how you take them from these network test beds, these pilots, and get them out to the world. And that means working with more networks to enable more users with these next generation characteristics and to cover more places. 
really create a uh, a launching pad for next generation applications. Does that help? Yes. So so basically, uh, we got the we got the three step waltz uh, where we're um, you know facilitating generating innovation, uh, testing the 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 the, the byproduct of that innovation, and then facilitating its uh, commercial development, which I guess in a you know historical broad sense is kind of like the internet. I mean, the, the internet was created uh, you know initially as a research project involving the government. And I'm assuming a couple of universities, and um, once we kind of got this thing out of the lab. Uh, I remember when I was actually in um, college way back when, uh, you know, the Internet was was this fledgling thing, but there were lots of colleges, you know, encouraging its use by students, even though it was slow and, and all of that. And then eventually through such things as the web browsers that were created, um, <clears throat> the Internet took greater shape and form and now has become this uh, commercial powerhouse in, in many respects. Yes, I think there's a lot to be said for the analogy. We, we try to take it too far, but in many ways we're trying to capture some of the uh, elements that went into the creation of the Internet itself to now talk, start talking about how to create next generation networks that reach community anchor institutions and homes and businesses. And so we're hoping to pull together some of those same elements, research, uh, research elements from the academic community and NSF, uh, elements from the government, and then elements among industrial partners and community partners. We're trying to put all that together and create the same sort of platform to begin discussing how networks evolve and transform to take better advantage of the gigabit capacity that many of them have or will have. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the questions, and you may have heard this question a lot. I know that I got it from um, Oh Broadband Communities Magazine, one of one of their editors, which is, you know, what are some of the, um, I guess, risk, if you will, of trying to um, drive innovation from what ultimately is the top down? I mean, from government down to the to the world or out to the world. Um, as opposed to letting it bubble up, what what are your thoughts or you know your yeah. uh, approaches to that addressing that issue? Sure, I, I think um, I think a couple things. One is that I, I would just remind that we are a uh, privately funded um, partnership. So while we definitely have a connection back to the National Science Foundation, which we can talk about in just a second relative to the rest it's actually funded through as i said private corporations and foundations and um communities and therefore really not government based so it was initially uh kind of sponsored and dreamed up which i think is a good thing because it was kind of inspiring uh um trying to solve a big problem that the country has the second thing and it's a really great question is while there's a lot of um initiative out there certainly in the private sector for um, applications and capability, they tend to be around kind of commercially viable uh, environments. When you look at things like education and distant learning, for example, those are going to tend to typically be supported and funded through areas like foundations and not-for-profits simply because it's really for the better good of societal benefit and not really 
something that one would look at and say, you know, I want to take and, and commercialize and, you know, take public necessarily and make money. Now, that, that doesn't mean it can't happen, but if you think about the six areas, these are really kind of needs for uh, the U.S. to establish not only some leadership but some capability. Now, where we do have, a, I think, an exciting tie back to government per se, although in kind of a loose way, is our uh, work that we do with the National Science Foundation. And the reason why that's important is, of course, the National Science Foundation is providing through um, grant ap applications, et cetera, universities out there to research this kind of open flow capability and software-defined capability for networks, you know, where really can the Internet go? And the goal we have, of course, is to take the information coming out of those universities and really tie them into communities that are trying to solve distant learning issues or um, health care you know, problems. Um, and in that sense, I think the government involvement is a good thing because you, know, you need that kind of initial involvement from the National Science Foundation to study and look at things in a new and different way. Um, but it's also important to know that our private partners, like Juniper and others, are also developing capability in their labs. And that's why it's a public-private partnership, by bringing the kind of brightest brains in the private industry with some of the best brains in the universities. You can imagine coming together the kind of capability they can bring forward to solve kind of these overarching big issues that uh, we need to address as a, as a country, like, you know, workforce development is a big, big challenge, and it, it matters not really... Um, you know, who's in office, that's an important thing for, for North America to solve, which is how do you make sure that, you know, your citizens are employed, for example. Mm -hmm. So given that, I think that makes a lot of sense and, and probably is, is an is a, um, element that people haven't thought about uh, in the sense of, um, you know, we we do ask the, the, the market uh, and the private sector to do a lot, but clearly there's always some sort of um, ROI element that has to be addressed by the companies. And the bigger the companies, obviously, the more the element has to be addressed. But then yours, it seems like then if you look at these six areas that um, U.S. Ignite is addressing or, or sectors, uh, a couple of these probably, at least on the short term, aren't going to have a clear demonstrable uh, payback. At, at the private sector level, but clearly at the community level, you know, if you can come up with applications that improve your workforce, you know, your workforce capability to adapt to a new digital economy, that has, you know, significant benefits, just not necessarily quantifiable in the same way. Is, is there some mechanism by which you, I don't know, balance, um, like where your resources go relative to these six areas? I mean, is it like, you know, there's equal number of resources going everywhere or one or two of these gets sort of a higher priority or, or at least a priority first and then, you know, you deal with some of these other things later? You know, what can we expect there? You know, I'll take a quick stab and Joe, you can certainly add in. I mean, I would say that that's really somewhat highly dependent on the community and and foundations involved. I will tell you that we have a lot of people focused on health care, mm -hmm. and I think that is coming from the fact that um, there's already thing, you know, already been improvements in health care just from use of today's Internet and mobile broadband capabilities. So I think it's kind of a natural extension of it. But, you know, depending on the foundation involved and if it's an area maybe in, 
in the uh, Michigan Peninsula area, for example, you can imagine the workforce development, you know, and taking people and making sure that they're really uh, getting trained and getting the opportunity to compete for jobs, on, you know, on a national level. That can be very, very important. So we don't, we won't prioritize one or the other. We, we, you know, see the six areas as important. We'll really lean towards what our communities and the applications coming forward are. Now, we should have mentioned, I and mean, Joe, you might have. Um, why don't you take just a second to talk a little bit about Mozilla and their involvement with US Ignite uh, and the National Science Foundation? I think that might help also clarify where we're aiming relative to the apps. Sure. So one part of the US Ignite initiative uh, that has is this umbrella that includes our not-for-profit element that you mentioned earlier is the Mozilla Ignite project, which uh, has been designed and funded in partnership with the National Science Foundation. And that's really uh, talking about running competitions and contests for application development and reaching the not only the Mozilla developers, but beyond there to all kinds of developers. And the, the contests are taking two parts. The first, they're going to be doing is, uh, some ideation competitions they talk about. And um, those are really paradigm-shifting discussions. And the, what, they, what, what they're focused on is, for many years, application developers, people who build things for web applications or for online use have had it drummed into their heads that they need to find a way to minimize the amount of bandwidth that's required by their application, to cram it into smaller and smaller places, to cache, to compress. Uh, all these techniques that have been developed to deal with the fact that the end user often has you know, limited bandwidth that they're uh, available for them. What we want to do is have people start thinking about big problems and how they might be solved if bandwidth were not a constraint. Because in fact, in some of the communities that we're talking about, in, in you know Chattanooga, in Lafayette, in Urbana-Champaign when they're done building the network, bandwidth is not going to be the constraint. The business model may be the constraint, but the bandwidth itself, the network itself, is capable of passing incredible amounts of traffic and using some of the new uh, technologies that are being worked on as a part of the National Science Foundation's Gini project, there are many new and different ways that we can utilize this bandwidth smarter, more efficiently, sliced into various separate pieces, virtualized uh, per application. And what we really want to do is start breaking down that design paradigm and have developers think about their applications in a different way. And so that's the first step of the Mozilla Ignite competitions. The second step will be to actually put some of those ideas into motion and create prototypes that can be fed into the process that I described when I was answering the earlier question, which is, you know, applications or ideas come out, prototypes get launched onto participating networks, and then we find ways to test them. And so, you know, Sue mentioned the areas that we're focused on. You can imagine finding applications that might allow, for instance, in the healthcare arena, um, uh, better health monitoring of an Alzheimer patient in their home, where they could actually spend more time at home aging in place versus having to be institutionalized 
because you could track and monitor their progress with any number of sensors and other passive elements in the home, aggregate that data and have it looked at by a medical professional. And those are some of that's one of many examples of things that are already underway. And so that's what the ideas we're, we're hoping will be sparked through the Mozilla competition. Mm -hmm. So in this current um, launch mode, are the is all the activities and development and so forth being uh, pretty much confined uh, to the the community partners that you have at the moment? Meaning, uh, is there is there some sort of planned development time? I don't know, six months, eight months, or what have you, where most of the activity of all these partners are going to be focused in this set number of communities, and then you will add on communities or add on projects after you've reached some sort of initial uh, benchmark or milestone? Yeah, you know, yeah I think that's a – go ahead, Joe, I'm I think that's a – it's a little bit yes and a little bit no, and that's probably where Joe is going to go. The, the, the yes part of it is that, of course, we don't want to have a bunch of communities there and then not be moving forward and not getting things done, so we have some pretty um, – clear milestones we're putting together uh, now to begin to understand kind of the state of readiness, if you will, for the different communities mm -hmm. and the uh, level of, uh, you know, application readiness. So, for example, if you look at a Chattanooga or a Cleveland, they've kind of been with, you know, one community in Cleveland, for example. They've been kind of far along already in getting broadband capabilities out. So they may be quicker to move than perhaps a uh, newer you know, community coming online that is just getting started. So we will want to be kind of milestone-focused and get some things moving before we just add tons. That said, we we also acknowledge the fact that, it, you know, when we work with a community, we try to be pretty upfront with them um, relative to what their goals and ambitions are and timing. And I can give you an example of a community up in the north, mid, uh, Midwest, north, northern part of the Midwest, pardon me, who is in the process now of building out and have kind of said, well, we're probably not going to be ready to do the next kind of this type of testing for another year. And that's fine because that works okay for us. We kind of understand when. So we have them on the radar. We're talking to them, working with them, but we're not moving forward and trying to really get moving on getting applications and capabilities and uh, moving in there because they won't be ready to do anything with it. And that, of course, won't do us any good, any, anybody any good. And we don't want this. We want it to be a very positive kind of momentum, obviously, going forward. Mm -hmm. And then, Joe, you were going to add to that? No, that, that's what I was going to say. That, that's about the answer I was <laughs> Okay, so, so basically then we should expect um, a rolling schedule, if you will, of, of uh, developments, announcements, and so forth coming from the various uh the various communities. So I'm I guess I'm I'm trying to come back to um you know sort of envisioning what this might this this process might look like. So city A, well you know whatever city has a what was it they they have a bunch of ideas and they want to come to uh US Ignite and tap into the resources or tap into the collective knowledge and then develop those, and then those get taken from that starting point to another city that has, say, networks in place to be able to run those apps? I mean, how does this 
get started if you're on the outside of the initial group, but you want to be a part of this? Sure. Let's let's use, if I may, I'm, I'm going to use Chattanooga as an example, just because they're fairly lo- far along, mm-hmm. and um, you know they have announced on their website, of course, that they are doing a uh, search on applications and and have really now begun uh, a process working with the Mozilla Ignite team to figure out how to how to get some, as Joe said, ideation or kind of ideas about, you know, what do you think design world out there, and, of course, Mozilla can reach far and wide into universities and beyond on, you know, capabilities. So let's say for a minute that, you know, Chattanooga does that and they come up with some great ideas and they hold their contest and award a couple of um, app developers. As we move forward, one of the goals that we would have is that as Chattanooga begins to, let's say they come up with one in healthcare, I'm making it up, but let's say they come up with one in, in healthcare around video care for for someone, then that might be an application that as they get moving, working with our kind of network communities, we'll then look and say, are there other communities that have an interest in testing this application as well? Because one of the things we want to understand is, is there, you know, geographical understandings or learnings? You know, maybe there's language differences. You can imagine if you go into some of the parishes in, in the Lafayette area of um, Louisiana, there's language differences than there are where I sit in Dallas, Texas, versus even where you might go in Chattanooga relative to the number of uh, different minority uh, individuals that could be involved who may not have English as a primary language. So by taking something out of Chattanooga and bringing it into Lafayette, Maybe we then get a you know French kind of version of that that allows application there. Maybe in a Dallas area you pick up more uh, you know Hispanic speakers and therefore you need that kind of capability. So it's really a bit of a networking of the communities once we get an application going. Um, now the other thing I would say is that part of the exciting thing, as I mentioned about working with the National Science Foundation, is they often through their grant process begin to see some of the applications that are coming out that while being tested in a university environment, they'd like to see and the researchers would like to see actually implemented into a community network. So if you think about, I mentioned Verizon's network, for example, in Philadelphia, if there's a great application coming out of one of the universities that they've worked on uh, through their grant process, they may well then work with us to say, we'd like to take that now and test it in a commercial environment in uh, like Philadelphia. And that's another way that we get applications in, and then again, they can spread beyond there. Interesting. So so you, there's there's clearly some path worked out, and, and that's because I was going to ask you at the beginning, you know, how do these partnerships <clears throat> inter, interact with each other, but this, I think, pretty much explains how um, how that how that can come together. So then if we take it then to the next step, it goes to a private sector partner. They do some testing and determine its viability and so forth. Um, who's responsible for that, um, I don't know, that end product? I, there, was a, there was a comment by uh, one, one person who asked about, um, you know, if, if some applications get developed in this process, you know, who owns them? Or more importantly, will a question of ownership, you know, potentially become a problem? You know, because you have it, in, in, you've got a number of people involved in the process, right? So the idea might bubble up out of someone's, you know, garage, or might bubble out, up out of uh, out of a university. And then once you get into a, you know, early development, then you bring in a private sector partner. 
you know, what happened? So, so have you figured out the, I guess for lack of a better word, the sort of the ownership and legalities aspect that might get affected by this kind of a, an arrangement? So I would say it's a little bit early days for all of those answers, but, but they're all things on our radar screen. Um, some of the uh, application contests that are being run and developed, for example, um, if I look at one that was just recently done in, in Lafayette around their uh, code, Cajun Code Fest, you know, they had specific rules around how that was going to be done and how it was going to be funded and who would own the actual application when it was done around uh, that app for healthcare because they were trying to uh, target um, the rel relatively, um, not relatively, very high um, rate of childhood diabetes in the Lafayette Parish area. So that's a good example where they actually kind of decided how they were going to do that, what the rules were going to be, and to you know they picked their winner. And, and really our goal is there is just to try to make sure um, that in something like that environment we are providing a test bed and providing other capabilities of it, but we're not really stepping into how the contest is run. Of course, Mozilla has their uh, way of running things as, as part of their foundation and how they work that um, also establishes some of that. To your question on the private sector, I think it really does highly depend on whether um, the private sector is picking something up and looking at it as something that they would want to own and release and commercialize, in which case, um, you know, they would, of course, they do that every day, they would be working and deciding how they want to capitalize that and, and how they want to put the legal framework around it. So I don't, I don't think there's a one set answer. Where I think, you know, the journey is, is as you mentioned, um, it's a little bit like when you open source something, you know, you get a lot of ideas, and with that comes the understanding that, you know, you're, you may or may not actually take that to a commercial uh, capability. You may just be open sourcing it for a logo creation, for example, and you, you give away your rights as a creator when you do it, uh, and you just take a one-time payment. So I think there's lots of different models we can explore and learn. I don't know that there's one set answer, but I would tell you it's it, I don't believe there will be. I believe there will be a variety of answers depending on how the application is created, who created it, its initial source, as you asked, and, of course, ultimately probably uh, the governing rules around either the community or Mozilla Ignite or University or whomever that is, that is working. And, of course, as you know, most private companies, if you create something as an employee, it still belongs to the corporation unless you have a separate agreement. So, you know, the, we're dealing with areas where there's lots of different established rules. We just probably will try to fall into as many of those as we can, and then we'll pave new roads as only as needed here. Joe, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. I, that's kind of a a uh, fairly full answer. but No, I would I would only add that, you know, we, we have recognized from the beginning that, this, that that is something to consider, um, sort of the intellectual property side of this. And, you know, we will have to work through it, as Sue mentioned, depending on the individual situation. So in some cases, we will have rules if we run application competitions, and those rules will be set at the time of the competition. And in other cases, as we're working through a particular project uh, with a set of partners and sponsors and researchers and entrepreneurs, we'll have to make sure that we've set the framework from the beginning. So it'll... it'll often be situational. It's going to be an interesting dance, I see. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you keep all that, that straight? I mean, as I, 
you know, as I look at it in the early days, you know, you, you start with a set number of communities, you start with a set number of players, if you will. Then as this thing kind of grows and glows and all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's new apps and there's new activities, um, how do you move this thing, keep this thing moving forward without becoming overwhelmed by it? Hmm. I'm I'm chuckling because I don't know. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the opportunity or the challenge. I mean, it's kind of a high grade problem, right? If we get so much going that we we become overwhelmed, uh, maybe the right answer though is in our business plan. And and in fact, uh, the teams meeting in in uh, July. One of the things, of course, that we have responsibility to do is to put together the appropriate tools and um, both utilizing uh, you know products that are out there in the market today. Um, as like a LinkedIn, for example, as well as tools we'll create for databases, et cetera, to try not to be overwhelmed by all the different uh, activities going on. But again, it, it'd kind of be a high-grade problem if my if that were my biggest issue. Um, I will say I think that you know one of the nice things about having a uh, partners like uh, the NECs and Junipers and others is they too will bring their own tools and guidance and and uh, project people, et cetera, to help us, and I think that will also hopefully go a long way in keeping us from getting overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Now, from what you're seeing initially and, and what you expect from the program, will, at least in the first year or two, will many of the apps coming out require a gig, or will it be more the case that in order to run you know, a variety of products, uh, I'm sorry, a variety of applications such as being created, you need the, the the gig network for capacity. In other words, the capacity of many applications versus one or two applications that's going that are going to need a full-on gig to be operational. Well, one thing, Craig, is that we, we've, we've tried, well, Gigabit is a, a handy way to think about it. We've really tried to focus on advanced networks. So, not just Looking at speed, speed is very important. But I think to get started, you know, anything 100 megabits and plus to an end user or to a community anchor institution is going to be sufficient to get started. But you know, I don't. I do want to highlight that we've, you know, we also like to include those other components that are being currently researched through the NSF's Genie program. So again, as I mentioned, software-defined networking, um, network virtualization. OpenFlow, those sorts of components are in some ways just as important as speed, although we do really, you know, like to kind of start off at a baseline of about 100 meg. In in terms of the network that you're looking to be at a test bed, you mean? That's right. 100 meg to the the ability to deliver 100 meg to the end user. That's right. Right, but uh, but then the the expectation is that there will be many products or many applications running versus one or two taking up that full-on bandwidth. I think that, that was the question I think that, that was being asked of me was, um, you know, it always comes back to the who needs a gig question, right, because some people still to this day ask that question. You know, and my response as of late has been, well, you need the network because if all of a sudden you've got, you know, 50 different applications, you know, one's healthcare imaging, or I'm sorry, medical imaging, and the other one's moving massive databases of information, you know, it's not that any one of those needs the gig, but there's like, there's no way that you can deliver, you know, those applications running concurrently 
unless you have, you know, 100 megs or you have a gig or two gigs or whatever, right? That it's more about the, the, the capacity of running multiple applications at once. I think that's what we're trying, I'm, I'm trying to get to. Is that, do you see yeah. that being more the case? Okay. Yes. That, yeah, and so, yes, we do. And one of the elements of the technology that's being developed as a part of the Genie Project includes uh, this concept of slicing, which is interesting, and I encourage you and, and others to dig in a little bit uh, if it's something that's interesting, but interesting to you. But basically, creating dedicated channels uh, of capacity with certain characteristics that meet the needs of a particular application at a particular time. And that's where really where we get to this concept of network virtualization, where, you know, we've, over the past 15 years, we've figured out ways to first virtualize a server and then to virtualize a data center, you know, with Amazon's web services and EC2 and those other competing services like that. Mm-hmm. And now what we really want to talk about is virtualizing a network. So, you know, you may have a gigabit capacity to an end user. They may not be using that entire gigabit the whole time. The network may have an aggregate capacity of, you know, 10 gigs, but a person only needs a certain amount of very high bandwidth for a certain period of time. And so we create applications that are smart enough and a network that is smart enough to handle that, to create a virtualized channel from you to the end to the other user or to the network resource that you're trying to get to that for a period of time locks up that capacity, takes you makes use of it, and then releases that again when you're done doing what you exactly what you were doing that needed that much bandwidth. Mm-hmm. So I mean yes, I can certainly imagine a world I you know, I don't have any dispute whatsoever with the graphs that are published by any of the network equipment manufacturers that show you know, bandwidth need rising, rising steadily and like a hockey stick for the foreseeable future. I agree that that's true. Um, I think that, it's, you know, at some point we will need to get smarter and apply more technological solutions instead of just applying more bandwidth, and that's part of the research that's being done with Genie, which is how do you how do we take make better use of the network resources that we have in place right now and find a way to, you know, customize what what is used by any particular person in any application at any time. Mhm. Okay. Um, there is a question from actually one of our um, uh, audience members who in the chat room who's uh, <clears throat> describing a a uh, project. So it's the CapeNet project up in uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and they're operating a uh, BTOP middle mile network. And his question is, you know, we're interested in knowing more about the test bed phase of the program, along with the requirements to become a supporting community. One of you, you want to take that question? Yeah, I can certainly take that question. And uh, Alan Davis is a friend, so I don't know. I don't know if your caller is Alan Davis, but uh, it's someone from his organization. Like yes. Oh, that's great. Well, he's a they're doing some great work up there. So, um, I would. So essentially, you know, we we start kicked things off last week with sort of our founding group of partners and communities, but we will be looking for more, you know, to begin working sort of toward the end of this year and early next. And effectively, what we're asking our partner communities and networks to provide is some segment of their network that is 
uh, genie-enabled, in other words, and, and the, the genie component of, the, of this project, again, I references the National Science Foundation project that I've been talking about. And that means installing a, there's a rack, they sort of have made it in a kit uh, at this point, of equipment that allows, that installs, it runs OpenFlow as well as some other uh, new package of technologies that have been worked on it um, in Genie. And to install that in their network, and then furthermore, to go from there uh, and hook up that portion of their network that uh, to the national genie tester that's being run by NSF at a number of universities. And that connectivity provides layer two access for many of these applications that we're working on, uh, that are being worked on. Um, so we ask the communities to install a genie rack, to connect that genie rack to some portion of their end users, and then to connect up to this national research network and then to help us carve out a segment of their users or anchor institutions that are willing to participate in the testing of some applications. And we are working on a way right now in uh, a strategy to connect application developers and application ideas with particular communities. So as Sue mentioned, some of our communities are very interested, for instance, in healthcare. When we get healthcare applications uh, that are designed in a, in a lab environment or designed in a <coughs> sort of closed network test environment, those developers now want to go out and test that application with real patients and real hospitals and real doctors. And so we are asking the folks who are interested in healthcare to, for instance, once they have the network platform enabled, can we launch this application on their network, test it with some of their users, and then perhaps, you know, go larger scale with it if it's successful. So you need to um uh what what was interesting there I mean the the process sounds pretty straightforward but one of the requirements in addition to having a network it sounds like you need to be sure that there are people willing to be um testers I mean in other words if you're going to come to the party and say well we want to be a test bed uh it would probably help if you've done legwork to figure out you know we've got you know a bunch of students or we've got a number of uh, medical facilities whose patients can participate. In essence, you got to bring some some um, yeah. uh, some warm bodies to the table, as well as just having the yeah. itself. Yeah, and I do want to highlight the fact that we're not only talking about end users as well. There are, for instance, uh, Merit Network in Michigan is has agreed to be a, a partner, and they they connect only community anchor institutions, mostly higher education institutions, to this to the Genie Network. And so we are working with them to test perhaps some distance learning or education or advanced manufacturing applications in and among their the community colleges and schools that are connected to their network. So it, we're not just talking about finding, you know, residential testers. We're talking about finding a whole host of end users and then people who will work, and I think Sue mentioned this earlier, Communities that will work with us to help create success. So it's not it's not good enough just to launch some application out that connects to a bunch of you know libraries if you don't have a way to encourage people to go to the libraries, for instance, and use that distance learning application. And that's where foundations and community nonprofits and other organizations come in. Some in some cases, technology incubators. You know, in, in Chattanooga, 
they have a great technology in, in Lafayette as well. They have a couple of great technology incubators that are really interested in being a part of this effort. And so there you can see uh, them, those organizations providing the push for both entrepreneurs and innovators to use this and also to connect us into the community to find out how we encourage people to take better advantage of these applications so that we can see how they work not only technologically or technically, how, how does the application actually function, but then is that is it changing one of these fundamental problems? Is it driving different results in healthcare? Is it driving down costs? Is it changing a business model in energy uh, or in manufacturing? You know, those are the kind of results that we're looking for, really transformational things that come about as a result of these very advanced networks and these very advanced applications. And so we need to we need to kind of touch all aspects of the value chain from the developer all the way through to the user. And to that, to do that, we need community support. Mm -hmm. Now, will there be a, uh, I don't know, some sort of um, uh, publicly available clearinghouse of ideas or a way to do some sort of uh, collaborating between people who are, again, currently in the program, but people who may be outside looking in, you know, to take open, uh, open cave, for example, uh, because I, I think that there are, you know, a lot of people out there that kind of want to know what's going on, so they're not necessarily duplicating efforts. Or, or, or on the flip side, they may want to partner with someone. Like, for example, someone described an application to me yesterday, and they were very willing to um, share the application. And it would be good to know if other people, you know, liked it, want to partner with them and so forth. And then clearly there are people who don't want to, you know, let their stuff out of the bag until it's ready. But for the people in the first category, is there some sort of e easy way that you guys have in mind to facilitate that kind of um, collaboration or crowdsourcing ideas or however you want to describe that? Yeah, I love the. Yeah, yeah. I just was going to say. I bet Sue was laughing in the background because you used the word clearinghouse, which has been my favorite <laughs> word for this yeah. over the past few months. So go ahead, Sue. Yeah, no. I was going to say that's that's uh, that's exactly when I mentioned a little while ago that we needed to create some of the tools. That's exactly why, because we do see ourselves as being a bit of a a clearinghouse, a connector, a conveyor, whatever you want, of, of all these different efforts and needs. And that will help also communities, as I mentioned, who maybe aren't ready yet or don't have uh, a quick access to a test bed, but maybe they believe they could prove one in if they could see an application or show, see it somewhere else, and that's why we really want to have that ability. And, and we're not there yet, but I will tell you that we are uh, in the process, as I mentioned, of just getting started now and collecting that, getting profiles done of the communities, profiles done of our private partners and what they are uh, providing in, whether it be help with equipment, help with engineering, help with project management, help with actual product itself or funding, uh, foundations and where their interests lie. And, you know, there's um, national foundations and, of course, there's in community foundations. And so getting that those profiles built, putting all those in together so we can, in fact, as uh, Joe has said for a while, we really do want to become an ability to have that kind of clearinghouse capability. And, and candidly, I've said it a lot, I mean, I really think as, a, as an organization, we have a kind of stated goal to not necessarily have to be 
in place, if you will, after three to five years. And I don't know what the right answer will be because we'll want we'll have that kind of capability. It'll be out there and it'll have a natural momentum and uh, mm-hmm. we'll begin to serve itself without us being in the middle and, and kind of moving it along. But right now that's our role and mission. Okay. Now this uh, might be a little bit far afield of what you guys have in vision, but uh, one of the um, emails I got talks about um, or, or gives the perspective, the perspective of one person who says, you know, the problem is with broadband, uh, you know, being uh, accepted or adopted in more places, may not necessarily be just a question of of competition. But the fact that people like the you know the, the the current providers of services are providing the same old thing, um, and in fact I've heard this echoed in a couple of comments in just the last couple of days where people talk about you know we see we're seeing rehashed the same old ideas the same kinds of applications. Now on the one hand you know we look at US Ignite and I'm assuming that. Uh, you know, one of its goals is is to create new ideas, right? I mean, that's that's pretty much. I think everyone accepts that. But what about ideas relative to how products are delivered, how they're sold, how they're distributed? In other words, if someone someone's contribution to the advancement of broadband may not necessarily be just the application, but how it is done, you know, how it is delivered. Um, is there a category, or is there a way to foster that kind of uh, innovation. I mean, absolutely. I, I would say that you're, you're spot on. I mean, obviously, one of the reasons some of our private partners are interested is because they want to understand moving forward. Does the monetization of the network change? Is the business mm-hmm. plan different? And to your point, is there are they doing things in their labs that could be done in a faster, richer way? if they were being done immediately out in, in communities for testing, et cetera. So mm-hmm. um, we kind of describe three different kind of groups, you know, the universities, the communities, and the private partners and foundations. But I think it's it's fair to say, and, and our bad a little bit, we haven't been clear on that, the fourth absolutely is those kind of business minds or um, other, I'll just say even other interested parties or researchers who look at a problem in a different way. And I hope that we attract some of those individuals in particular during some of the ideation phases of, of some of the contest. So, for example, if um, I've used this example before, so sorry, Joe, but if you wanted today in Dallas to teach, uh, help students here maybe with um, learning, one of the statistics we know in the Dallas metro area is that you know, many of our students that go to our public schools, for example, come home to parents whose who English is not, not their native language. So no point in having an application that's maybe fed through the television or whatever over broadband if we don't reach their parents who need to help the students with the homework in their native language. So where does that connect to what you're saying? Think about the ideation phase. If we get not just developers of the app, but we get students who are you know, and, and individuals, teachers in the community who understand how people learn, maybe mm-hmm. psychologists who understand what are the barriers to learning for some children, and we get them involved in it. Those are great examples of people who are participating and helping, not necessarily writing an app, not necessarily funding an application, maybe not even necessarily testing it, but really providing their insight and knowledge 
into that stage. And then, of course, as I mentioned, you know, if one thinks about, for example, health care, you know, there is an opportunity, we would hope, to cut a lot of cost of the health care system if we're not bringing people consistently in to emergency rooms, for example. Mm -hmm. So what if the insurance companies, who one might not normally think of being participative in something like this, they might step in to really understand the financials around, you know, video health care versus non-video health care in a community and begin to understand if there's something that, you know, maybe they want to offer broadband services um, and help people pay their bills just to get them connected because that's cheaper for them ultimately than mm-hmm. trying to collect in the back end. So there, there's lots of kind of neat ways that I see the puzzle kind of coming together, um, but I don't see it coming together for every app or every community the same way, which is why this kind of clearinghouse capability has to be there so we really attract all the different uh, problem solvers to the equation. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Now that, that that makes a lot of sense. I'll just make a little side note here. Um, it looks like somebody broke Twitter because <laughs> uh, can't get to it. Can't get any of these comments out via Twitter. And I don't know if people have been following uh, on Twitter, the, the Twitter feed as well as just listening. But um, it seems like we have a failed whale problem of some great magnitude here. But I'm sure it's not our traffic that's doing it. So. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Now, um, I guess, you know, one of the things that comes out of uh, driving the success of this program is going to be the reliability of the networks that are are being used as test beds and also the, um, uh, I guess, the the, the management aspect of of those networks. Do you guys do some sort of, um, I don't know, screening, testing, uh, anything? And I guess this would be targeted more to potential test beds, right, because you obviously have already selected uh, a number of communities. But as far as other folks joining in the program, uh, is there some benchmark of, of, you know, capability they need to kind of have in place as they show up to be a test bed? You know, we, uh, Craig, we, we don't, yeah, I mean, we have a sort of minimum set of characteristics. In the early days here, we expect this is going to be a fairly uh, case-by-case basis. You know, as we grow to more and more communities, I do think we will need to put in place something like that. But many of the networks we're working with now are fairly large and quite professionally run. And so we imagine that that is probably... Uh, not going to be something we work on early, but it'll probably be something we have to put into the process when you're on. Right. I guess my advice to you know the communities, folks that are listening to uh, you know this broadcast, it would be uh, make sure that you have your act together because at some point um, there, there's probably going to be more people coming through the door uh, of, of US Ignite than you guys are going to be able to handle all at once. You have to prioritize folks. And so my assumption would be that those people who have their act together the best, you know, basically have a, you know, reliable um, operations that's going on are going to be in uh, greater favor than those folks who, you know, you, you go out to meet them and or you go out to test their network and it doesn't work very well because clearly that's not going to help in the end what the long-term objectives are for U.S. Ignite. Yeah, yeah I think, that, that is I think quite we, true. We've, yeah, I think we've always found that in in almost every community we go to, 
we see kind of a recipe for success. And one of the recipes for success, of course, is you have to have a very passionate uh, owner of the network who who wants a return on that investment, mm-hmm. um, to your question earlier. So whether that's a Muni network or, you know, a uh, Verizon network or whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, that, that everybody has that business kind of need. The second thing, though, is you need a community of interest that want to make that network a success. And what I mean by that is you made the comment earlier that, and I think it's fair, that there's a lot of the same kind of ideas coming out and people aren't really seeing innovation. Well, one of the ways I think you can is if if people begin to own the problem in a broader and wider way. And, um, you know, again, if we look at some of our cities, I'll throw a different one, Philadelphia, for example. You know, if I look at what um, the mayor's wife, Lisa Nutter, is doing there, with that community, with the university, Drexel and others, is they're really trying to solve a problem on a community level, not really the network is an enabler of the problem solving, and they're using it to do that, but they have a bigger passion, which is around, you know, really solving issues. And then the third piece of the equation we find often is to have a foundation involved. And that foundation, by the way, can be private, uh, you know, private companies foundation, it can also be a foundation again that's a you know in place foundation or a national one, but you know really reaching in and looking at areas of education or workforce development because that tends to be their area of expertise anyway. Mm-hmm. I guess the last thing I would say to that is one thing that's very, very important for u s ignite is that we don't just have you know big communities with really big names. It is as important to us that we see the success of this capability. Matter of fact, it might even be even more important that we get out into communities that are rural, our communities that maybe, you know, are, um, you know, reservations and, and areas that aren't downtown Philadelphia because we love downtown Philadelphia and we get one kind of user and passion there. We're going to get a completely different one if we're in, you know, an area in maybe, you know, western Colorado that gets hit by, you know, heavy snow a lot and therefore, you know, students aren't able to get in and out of school as easily and therefore, you know, higher dropout rates or people are leaving those communities and and the the cities are suffering. We'd love to find ways to make those communities and cities be involved because Mm -hmm. that allows us really to change the dynamics of that that population as well. So Mm -hmm. kind of a long answer, but I, I wanted to explain a success criteria we've always seen as well as a little bit of the uh, dimensions of the type of people we want to be have involved. Mm-hmm. Now that actually brings me to a question uh, that, it, that has, again, a number of folks have brought up, which is can the U.S. Ignite program in any way address the fact that there just there are places where there are not networks. So is there any way that you know as a result of what you guys are doing can somehow move uh community network projects forward because um you know you have a lot of community networks that are part of the program which makes every broadband advocate's heart, you know, go a flutter because, you know, that's what we want to see because there's so much, you know, negative stuff that comes out about, you know, these community networks fail, yada, 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 but, you know, that's not the case. Now, you're bringing those networks to the fore, but, you know, is there some, other than by example, are there any other ways that you can see where um, U.S. Ignite can 
inspire or motivate or somehow get some of these community projects off the dime and moving forward? Well, well I mean, I, I, I would, guess... Go ahead, Sue. Sorry. We'll I guess I would say... We'll go. <laughs> all right, I would say quickly that to me, I think the, the answer is, of course, that you know every community, of course, has to, has to factor in their own uh, ROI. But I think you're right. I think one of the things is that we need to make sure that the business cases and the success stories are widely understood. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I would say the network really becomes the enabler to what we're trying to solve here. And while there's a lot of politics and a lot of you know issues around that, as you mentioned, the number one thing for us is to make sure that people understand the kind of fact-based uh, figures and capabilities we can bring forward that helps the community sponsor something like that. So, for mm-hmm. example, if we can look and say, this is the kind of jobs that were created. This is the type of, um, you know, increase in test scores that students saw because they were now part of this application environment. Or this is the lowering of diabetes rate in a, you know, in an environment when students are using these applications to get more educated. We want to bring that knowledge base into our um, communities and mm-hmm. into our network of individuals involved. And I hope with that, other communities who say, hey, you know, that's us. We have that problem. We can absolutely want want them to use that knowledge to go forth and learn. And I'll I'll give you an example. You know, if I look at one community up in Cleveland, I think uh, Scott Rourke up there has done a tremendous job, in fact, in studying the implications of their network and trying to make that public so people can see the successes there. Same thing with the Smart City Initiative in Philadelphia. So I think there's there's beginning to be those opportunities for people to learn from one another, and that's absolutely uh, great because, as you said, I mean, we won't get 200 communities if we're not learning and, and sharing not only the application but the success, the, fa- the financial facts, and the, um, yeah, I guess, surrounding facts around that application that, that changed the way people, you know, lived and used the network in their community. Mm-hmm. That... Uh that uh, that sounds like a, a definite winner you know i um i do remember when uh oh i guess it's like in the first 4 hours of the announcement the initial you know announcement last week um you know that to me was like one of the most common comments all had to do with um you know what will us ignite do to address the fact that uh, you know, there isn't enough competition and that the community networks are the ones really when you look at, you know, which networks in America are delivering uh, massive speed, uh, you know, in the gigabit range, you know, you, what you have are these community networks and they're all, there seem to be more barriers than facilitators for more communities to get there. And I agree actually that using the the application success story, especially when it's documented to the point of showing uh, economic impact, uh, healthcare impact, um, workforce development impact, can be the main tool that gets these discussions past the city council stage or the county commissioner stage where, you know, someone stands up and says, well, our community needs a network. Well, why are we going to spend taxpayer dollars to build a network so people can download YouTube videos? And so to be able to walk in with stats and examples and costs and, and you know, benefits from those costs, I think is going to make a big, uh, a big difference in a number of places. I'm not sure how much it will help in those states that have 
uh, regulation against these kinds of networks. But, you know, hope springs eternal, but clearly having the data is the, the crux of the whole, you know, any kind of successful effort in that in that way. That's right. And, so, I, and I, I think it helps. Sure. Even, even in those environments, I think it helps. You know, we have, where you, we have a good partner, for example, in Verizon and AT&T. And, I mean, you know, while there are different legislation issues, I think that they, too, will be interested to understand the kind of business cases that are happening, and that might help move their own networks at mm-hmm. a faster rate uh, because they, too, need to be in a kind of an ROI environment, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Now, so go ahead, Joe. I would also, I was just going to say, I would also suggest that in that, uh, in that case, one of the, one of the things I hope that U.S. United is able to further develop down the road is an understanding of how the broadband business model may change uh, in the future, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, no matter whether it's a community network or a private network or a research education network, there's obviously an underlying business model, something that supports the operation of the network. And I think, I personally think, that we are going to start to see more creativity develop in the simple pay per megabit, the pay for usage model, the end user pay for usage model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for instance, some of the new technology that is being inserted in the network um, that we've been talking about gives you the ability to pay for applications, to pay for a particular service or a particular usage, and not just, you know, buy per megabit. And I think as we have applications out there that are compelling that can deliver not only value to the end user but also savings to some aspect of society, again, energy, healthcare, transportation, things that we all that all have embedded costs, I think there is an opportunity to rethink the business model for the broadband that is necessary to power those applications. And perhaps, as you rethink the business model for those applications, it starts to slowly shape the business model in other ways, too, so that we're not only stuck within the model of pay for your home connection by how much you use, but instead perhaps pay for it by the applications or the application developers, you know, see a benefit in paying for certain types of connectivity. So I think there's there's a chance that we could be a part of the shaping of the business model as it goes forward because I don't believe that as you get into the gigabit range, I'm not sure a simple, you know, dollar per megabit calculation is going to work. Mm-hmm. I have a question um, kind of along this line. Uh, how effective well, – this, well, let me, I'll just put the question out there. You guys can respond. Um, how effective are contests for inspiring good app development? And I ask the question from the perspective of having – watched a couple of communities launch literally six-figure contests. In other words, you know, win, win 100 grand, win 250 grand for, um, you know, for for developing the, the next killer app. And, um, you know, and so the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, that's okay, but does that really generate the apps? Because, you know, am I going to be willing just because of that, um, 
dollar amount to get in the process of developing an app if I'm not really sure where the market's going to be? You know, where am I going to recoup my time? Now, it's one thing for people who are doing an application that they feel will have a great uh, social or, you know, community benefit, you know, but they may not be the same person who would do this if they felt there was a payback. But the payback may not necessarily be the reward or the contest. It may be, you know, I need something else from this. So, I mean, have you, has this been, I don't know, debated or, or you know, compared to other options for generating app ideas? Yeah, let, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to take a stab, and then I'm, unfortunately I'm going to have to drop because I'm getting a uh, text here from one of our uh, partners who wants me to join a call with him on uh, something here. But uh, let me... Um, let me say this. I think it's a really good question, and, and part of it comes from the fact that we do have Mozilla as a partner, and I think that communities that are involved now that can involve the Mozilla network, if you will, um, get such a great reach into a much broader community they might otherwise, application community they might otherwise reach. Second thing is, again, I would encourage you know everyone to think about the fact that I don't, I don't even think any of us can comprehend how many great things are done in the university environment. Unfortunately, a lot of university students see their path to success as quitting school, opening a startup, and going that way. To your point, because we're really looking at the kind of societal benefit type applications, we really hope to pull those out of the university environment and get them into communities with some of the brightest minds in the world are attending, of course, these universities. So I think we will get a different way than just application contests, they're not um, necessarily competing with one another. They may be complementary in that, you know, students could join the Mozilla Ignite effort, but on the same degree, we could have those separate. And then the third is, I think, um, you're, you're spot on. I think there's learning to be had here, um, and we may see different ways. There's nothing that connects us to this being the only answer. If we see other successful ways from other communities or other initiatives um, that work, we will um, we will certainly tap into that and try to make that a success. Um, and the last thing, I guess, for me would be, you know, we had the pleasure of having Bob Metcalf, who, um, as you know, of course, is one of the uh, founders of the Ethernet, at our uh, reception for US Ignite, and he made the comment that, you know, be be willing to be surprised on the answer, because mm -hmm. you know when they did the first. Internet and Ethernet, they, of course, didn't design it for YouTube, and along came YouTube and other things. And his thought was, you know, whatever we think about U.S. Ignite, we're still not thinking big enough and wide enough, and that, you know, the same people who created the YouTubes in the world, that mindset is out there, ready to do something in these six sectors. We just need to tap into them, whether that's by a contest, a university, a startup who just puts their hands up and says, this is something we want to do, or foundations who have people who say, we have a great answer. We just need to get somebody to help us develop it. I think he's right on when he says, you know, just be willing to be surprised and open yourself to that because the more open you are to different thoughts coming in, the more successful um, U.S. Ignite will be. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, sorry that you have to go, but I'll, I'll, we'll carry on with Joe, and hopefully Sue, okay. you and I will get a chance to, to talk again and Maybe we'll have you oh, back sure on the show will. down the road in six months. See what's going on. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to share with you what we're doing. And again, I apologize for uh, for that. That wasn't my intention when I joined. But one of the fun parts of my role is I've got to be somewhat responsive. And we have a uh, couple of guys here who seem to feel that they need a quick answer. So you not a problem. We fully understand. 
All right. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Joe. Take care, Sue. So, Joe, you want to pick up guess, on the, the contest? Yeah, part? let me pick up on the answer a little bit and just say that, you know, contests are, are one small part of the way in which we hope to encourage development of applications. So, you know, in and again, as I mentioned, one thing that the contest, especially the ideation contest, I think will be very good at is this paradigm shifting, is this sort of change in the way that people think about developing applications and to really try to force them into a, a, a construct that uh, that is outside of the one they live in or work in currently. And, but there's a lengthy education process that we will have to undergo if we really want to see large-scale development of applications with some of these next-generation networking characteristics. Right now, networks that are enabled that some of these next generation characteristics only exist in computer science departments and in small campus laboratories. And we need to extend the reach of those networks beyond just those areas and give people an understanding what sorts of new tools they have at their disposal. So contests are one way to do that. Uh, we also think we're, you know, there are going to be there are going to be technical competitions, educational outreach. There's going to be a lot of other activities that we are working on in order to begin to get people to think more broadly about the technology that we are putting forward. Mm -hmm. Is is <clears throat> would one of those tactics be to um, create some sort of um, I don't know, infrastructure slash support group to facilitate uh, the um, applications going to market or going to some end user? Uh, meaning, okay, so you know, money is one part. Obviously, it's an important part. But as much as <clears throat> money is important, also are connections to you know distribution vehicles and knowledge because a lot of people that are developing apps are engineers, but they don't have any business acumen, if you will, and uh, and so a full-on program, in, in, I think in theory, would, would include ways to address these other elements of the puzzle, not just the dollars alone. That's right, and some of our, yes, and I think part of the sort of central role that USNI will play is to connect these entrepreneurs and innovators to the technology and to the technologists who are developing this in some of the research universities. And then as they begin to develop, to connect them to our corporate partners, startup incubators, some of our other nonprofit partners who are interested in this sort of thing. We're hoping to develop a partnership with Startup America and other organizations like that, that into which US Ignite and its applications can become a fund. Uh, so as application developers begin to get some traction, create something interesting, come up with a good idea, we can help direct their efforts um, in any number of ways. Again, it could be direct them to some of our corporate partners who might like to incubate an idea like this, direct them perhaps to venture capital if that's the route they want to take, mm -hmm. direct them to direct them to a nonprofit who might consider funding the development of their application for the social good it might create, direct them to a government agency that might consider 
this being a part of their mission. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, there's a number of aspects in that third, again, if going all the way back to the beginning, when I talked about the three-step process that U.S. Ignite might follow, that third step, which we have not spent a tremendous amount of time on right now, I think is in some ways some of the most important things that U.S. Ignite will do once the applications are created, which is to ensure that they are put on a sustainable path to get from prototype to full-scale launch. Now, in that um, in that vein, are are you seeing signs of, or are you guys going to encourage, you know, all, all alternative funding structures? Uh, recently, I just did a paper on, uh, you know, different ways to fund broadband network buildouts. Uh, I am sure that there may be other ways to fund, you know, application development or getting uh, applications to market. Um, is anything in place to kind of foster that line of thinking, or have you seen have people come to you, you know, with ideas in that realm? No, not yet. Uh, but certainly, I mean, we are we're open to a lot of different creativity. I mean, you know, one of the things I, I continue to focus on is that while I, while we, I personally, and we love to see more networks get created, U.S. Ignite is not at this moment, about the creation of new broadband networks. It's about the enablement of of existing networks with new capabilities. Mm -hmm. So there are many organizations, some of which you know very well and are a part of, whose goal it is to continue to push new business models, new ideas, and development and creation of broadband networks in areas that don't have them. I, you know, that is a worthy goal and one that we believe in, but it's not the goal of U.S. Ignite. We're looking to find those networks that are operational and enable them with new technology capabilities. Oh, right, right. Now, I was, I was presenting the, 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 the point about the network funding alternatives to extrapolate to the thing of, you know, can we find similarly, can we find alternative funding mechanisms for getting uh, products, applications to market. You know, it yeah. kind of comes back to the, um, you know, it's, it's okay to have the contest, and maybe the contest gets people off the dime to get a product started or even finished, but you still have to have all of these other, you know, business facilities. So it sounds like, I mean, you guys are <clears throat> looking at that when you talked about, you know, you maybe introduce people to VCs or to other business resources. Cause I think that's, a, that's an important thing to know about the... Um, you know, this initiative is that, um, you know, we're not just creating ideas and throwing them into a, a space or a test bed alone. You know, there may very well be other vital business connections or contacts that can be made that will facilitate the, you know, the whole process of bringing applications out there. Yes, for sure. Okay. Um Oh, I had a, I had a brain freeze there for for a second. Um, in terms of um, marketing, uh, do yeah. you require uh, people that are coming in to participate <clears throat> to have done any kind of um, groundwork in understanding the market that they're trying to adjust, uh, address, or reach, or what have you? Can you? I'm sorry, Craig. Can you um, 
elaborate that a little bit for me? Okay, so there have been, again, going back to the network side of things, um, a, a large number of projects that were started because people were looking for getting money to, to make those projects happen, right? So they fill out an application, they go out, they apply, boom, they get money, and hopefully they move forward. Well, yep. I think that with applications, you have a similar kind of potential, which is I might go out and create this product, and I might get all these resources involved and all these people excited about it, but, you know, five minutes or five hours worth of market research would have pointed out some serious uh, limitations to the ability of that product to actually be successful. Or conversely, that same research would have discovered ways to maybe tweak the, the product or the application to make it more viable. So is there any, I don't know, anything in place to address that element, you know, the market need? element side of things. Not yet. Not yet is there anything in place. Um, but again, as a part of that third part of our strategy, which which admittedly we've done the uh the least amount of work on so far, um, it is going to be important to bring partners to the table, both corporate, nonprofit and others with the expertise to help our application developers do that. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but I do I, mean, I do agree that our ultimate goal is to create sustainable applications, whether they are private companies, whether they are part of an existing company, whether they are, <clears throat> you know, nonprofits, whether they are uh, something that becomes the mission of a government agency. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. A number of paths they can take, but but our goal is sustainability. <clears throat> and I think that's good. I mean, even though I mean it is early, I think we understand that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts. I mean, having a hundred partners cannot be an easy thing to to manage. You know, I kind of throw that out there. <clears throat> you know, in part because people have at, you know have asked me or they've commented about it, or just from my own observation. You know, one, and one of those observations is. Um, you know, people go down a path and they get pretty far and realize that they've gone down the wrong the wrong path. So that if you're going to be, you know, dedicated to getting these apps out, like the guys have a goal of getting sixty applications in uh, you know, by by a particular point in time, you know, the 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 ne the necessity to make sure that the products are successful, you know, from a marketing perspective you know, only helps U.S. Ignite that much more. In other words, if you can help somebody to find the right path, and as a result, they sell a bazillion widgets as opposed to a thousand widgets, you know, everybody wins. You know, the partners, the right. the participants, and then U.S. Ignite because you know you you created that environment for this to happen. And right. being a former marketing person, I'm kind of you know <laughs> I'm always going to ask questions about that that marketing uh, that marketing component. Yeah. Sure. Now, do you have any, you know, as we get ready to wrap up here, um, good first steps? I mean, there's, there, there. Obviously, you have people in the program, but you got a lot of people on the outside that want to be a part of this. Can you give a short, you know, two, three-step process for people to, you know, latch onto and say, okay, we can do this. We can, we can get in there and be a part of this. Sure. Well, I think it depends on what kind of people you are. So I'll break it up into categories. If 
you are a part of a company that is in the broadband ecosystem, whether that's equipment manufacturer, carrier, uh, services company, etc. We are still always looking for partners and sponsors to be a part of our effort. Um, you know, we've had companies commit cash and also in-kind support and at various different levels for various different reasons. But in doing, in providing those that sort of support to US Ignite, you get to be in and a part of what happens here. You get to, mm -hmm. you know, participate in some of the projects. You get to get, you're sort of a part of our clearinghouse where we match up resources that are contributed with communities and application developers and startups and others who need them to come to, to bring all that together to create a viable project. So uh, that's one element of participation. Another is if you're a, a community, a, an advanced broadband network that is interested in becoming a testbed for US Ignite, we are still looking for those. As I mentioned, you know, we've got our, our current set, which will, may take us sort of through the next few months, uh, but we'll be looking for new ones to begin to add to the mix toward the end of the year. Mm -hmm. so we're always willing to talk to people now about that. Uh, if you're an application developer, we are going to begin really some pretty serious outreach to that group of folks so that we can have more and more attention on the competitions, contests, the outreach. Uh, so please do find our website, contact us, let us know you're interested. Mm -hmm. um, let me, let me interrupt you for a quick uh, second, yeah. Joe. I'm sorry, but just let me interrupt yeah. for a quick second. I have a caller on the line. I want to see if I can bring him in here before we run out of time. Hello, hey, Craig. This is uh, <clears throat> this is Chuck Sherwood calling. Chuck, how are you? Uh, fine. Um, one quick question. I've been wondering. <clears throat> sorry, since last week's announcement, why were not government applications part of the six that uh, they've chosen to focus on? Joe. Uh, and I. And what do you mean specifically by government applications? Because we do, in the six areas, I mean, there are government agencies that focus on each of those, and all those agencies, or most of those agencies, are participating. So, for instance, you know, of the six areas we've chosen to focus on, energy is one, the Department of Energy is an engaged partner and will be already working on it, is already working on an application. Uh, you know, transportation is another, uh, healthcare. The third, and we've gotten support from both the FCC's Rural Telehealth Program as well as the Department of Health and Human Services. So, I'm not. What specifically do you mean by government application? Uh, okay. Um, uh, as Craig knows, since he was one of the keynote speakers at the Smarter, the recent Smarter Cape Summit, uh, you know, which of course uh, was co-sponsored by our private partner here, CapeNet. Uh, yes. The Cape Cod Commission is in the process of developing <coughs> all kinds of uh, planning tools uh, to deal with water quality and air quality issues. <coughs> so that's really what I was ha having in mind. Oh, I see. Well, sure, and we we are absolutely working with federal agency partners, and we hope local government partners as well. For instance, one of the applications that the 
that is being developed in Chattanooga is an emergency preparedness and disaster response application. And that has wide-ranging impact on government operations, mostly government operations, um, and both at a federal, state, and local, or among all of the federal, state, and local level, allowing first responders to get immediate access to real-time simulation data on a particular emergency to help make decisions. And so there, there, is, a, there is a government component, certainly, to what we're doing here. I, I think Sue wanted to make very clear the uh, the idea that this is a public-private partnership completely funded by private partners and not by government. But in terms of the development of applications, we hope to include not only federal agencies but local and state governments as well. Great. Good. Also, to... one uh, one quick question. How are you all going to tie uh, all of these applications <clears throat> into the current NTIA uh, first net planning process for the uh, interoperable public safety network? And we only have about a minute, so be succinct. Sure. We began talking to, you know, NTIA was a part of our announcement last week, and we began to talk to them about specifically the first net um, network, but that we have not yet come up with any decisions on that. But we will certainly, in the case of the development of public safety applications, we'll certainly be working with NTIA as a partner in that. Absolutely, because as we know, uh, way too often uh, folks uh, operate in silos in D.C. as well as in communities, uh, and the more people are talking with one another, the better. Great, and this is going to wrap our show, folks. Uh, Joe, thank you very, very much, and also Sue for being our guest today and giving us a lot of useful information about uh, U.S. Ignite. And I wish you guys all the best luck, and I will definitely be following it in my blogs, and undoubtedly there will be some aspect of this covered on uh, Gigabit Nation again. So, again, thank you very, very much, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. Take care. All right, and thank you, our audience. Thank you, Hiawatha Broadband, for being our sponsor. Uh, we'll be back next week with more exciting broadband topics. Have a great day.